Let me say again uh, what an honor and privilege it is for me to uh, share with you this morning. Uh, this church has such a rich past. Uh, when I was uh, just out of seminary, I wrote a paper on Jonathan Harrelson. I don't know if you know his name, but he was the city judge in Selma, Alabama uh, during the uh, Civil War and then afterwards during that Reconstruction period. He was the chairman of deacons of this church. Um, later on, he, w- he was a city judge, by the way, and, and later on he was appointed to the Alabama Supreme Court. But he um, held this church together in so many times, and he was later elected, or he was elected to be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, not just one year, not just two years. But he was elected for 20 years, and nobody has ever exceeded that. Jonathan Harrison left his legacy here at his church. I was privileged to be under the, privilege, under the preaching of John McCrumman, and he left his legacy in his church. And also for Henry Lyon. Henry Lyon meant so much to Susan and I, and he married us right here. But Henry had this habit of, of going way past when the clock would tick a dong at the Presbyterian Church. And so I'm going to try to live up to his legacy today. <laughs> now, I've told Murray, if, if I go too long, start playing the invitation. So if you see here, Murray, start playing the invitation. But for Susan, I have so many memories. Um, Miss Taylor could not have been a better teacher to Susan, and she still has memories of Miss Taylor teaching her in that girls' class. And so many girls, I run into them, ladies and women who have their own families and even grandchildren, and they talk about how Miss Taylor just blessed her life. It was here that Susan was baptized. Um, it was here that Susan and I would meet sometimes for church. I was. Raised in uh, Central Baptist Church, which is where the post office is now. And my mom would let me come and uh, come to church with her. We'd come to church with uh, Susan. And I would uh, leave Central Baptist Church, come by the Wilby Theater. Now, how many of you remember the Wilby Theater? Would you raise your hand? You're old people if you remember the (laughs) Wilby Theater. And we would go across the street and meet at Swift. I would go across the street and meet her at Swift. And then we'd come and we'd sit up there in the balcony. And uh, we were 14 then, and, and I would hold her hand. And John Atherton would sing, All That Thrills My Soul Is Jesus. And let me tell you, there was more thrill in my soul than Jesus when I was holding, <laughs> holding her hand. And after the service day, if we can climb the stairs, we want to go up there and hold hands again. <laughs> See if we still got that th- same thrill that's kind of pushing our hearts. <laughs> now, as you look back at Matthew, let me tell you some things about Matthew. I, I enjoy studying the writers of Scripture. Matthew was a tax collector. That's how we know him. But Matthew was studying to be a rabbi. He was a Levi. His name was Levi. It was Jesus who changed his name to Matthew, which means gift of God. But Matthew grew up in a rabbinic tradition, and and you can watch and see how Matthew is organized so well, the book of Matthew. 
He knew the scriptures and he is placed first in the uh, New Testament because he connects the Old Testament through the New Testament in the scriptures that he quotes. And he quotes some 13, 15 times scripture and he brings it together and sees, shows how uh, Jesus fulfills all that scripture. But Matthew kind of grew up in the temple organization and he saw the things that were wrong with the temple. And it took Jesus to clean it out, but it went back the way it was. And he saw those things that were wrong. He saw the, the backstabbing that went on. He saw the misuse of the treasury. He saw things going on that just turned him off. And so he left being a rabbi and became a tax collector. But his tax collecting just really didn't kind of fulfill him. There was something missing in his life. Uh, so many people have been to this church, have come down the aisle of this church and given their hand to, to the pastor and said, I promise to do it, and then they just kind of disappeared. And every church has its people on their rows. At one time, they came down front, but something in church kind of turned them off, and they went in the opposite kind of direction. And that's what happened to Matthew. And there are certain things that are wrong with the church. I've been to too many business meetings when I knew there was no Jesus in that business meeting. And you have too. You've seen people do this and do that. But there are also people like Ms. Taylor. You want to focus on one or you want to focus on the other? Matthew found Jesus and it changed his life. And he was an accountant and he followed Followed Jesus around writing notes, and he puts his gospel form out there, and he writes about the life of Christ. It is Matthew who gives us a Christmas story from Joseph's point of view. Uh, Luke gives us a Christmas story from Mary's point of view. And Luke has his shepherds, but it is Matthew that gives us a story not only of Joseph but also of the Magi who came from the east, and they came from a long way. The book of Matthew begins with the um, genealogy of Jesus, and when you look at the genealogy of Jesus and you go down in it, you see some shady people that are in that genealogy. They're dysfunctional, but God can work through shady people. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, I was going to tell you, look at somebody next to you and see if they look like shady people. But anyway. But then it tells us about Joseph. Joseph had a hard decision. I mean, Mary was pregnant. They were engaged, and he knew that wasn't his child. How do you deal with that? That was a hurt deed. See, the Christmas story, we just make it so beautiful and everything and add all the Andy Williams song and all those kind of things. But it was a complicated kind of mess. But when God comes into a sinful world, it's always kind of complicated. And so Joseph struggled with what he should do. And he thought he came up with a good decision that he would put her away quietly and they would have a divorce and that would be the best thing probably could happen. 
But while he did that, he had this dream, and God gave him a dream and said, No, you're missing out. Don't miss Christmas. And so he gave him the dream, just like he had given his forebearer, Joseph, the dream. And when he dreamed, God spoke to him in that dream and said, What's happened is not of mankind, and she hadn't been unfaithful to you, but what has happened is of the Holy Spirit. And stop being afraid to take her to be your wife. And so Joseph had this kind of ceremony that he had this input from God. And as far as we know, he makes a good husband because he never says a single word. We don't have a single word that Joseph said. Maybe that makes him a good husband, amen? Just, just listen, amen? <laughs> so he did. Eh, that's a very short word. He did. How much do we know and how little do we do? How much we know we should do and how much we do not do. Joseph did. But two things are in there. Jesus came and Joseph is to name his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. Because sin has a grip on every one of us. And the only release from that grip that sin has on us is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Muhammad cannot offer it. Whatever you want. Buddha cannot offer it. You cannot find that anywhere else. The only forgiveness for sin is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But he also told him, he told him that you shall call, he shall be called Emmanuel, that is God with us. And if God isn't with us, we got problems. Amen? We got a Congress that can't get along. Amen? Can you deal with that? So he named his name Jesus, and he's called Emmanuel, that is God with us. And how many times? That God has been with me through some tough, tough times. When I joined this church when I was going to Vietnam, on my way to Vietnam, and um, Mr. Ricks prayed for me every Wednesday night. And there were some tough times I had that I didn't ever think I'd make it. But I remembered that over here at First Baptist Church and with my family, They were praying for me, and God was with me and delivered me through a dark time in my life. And I thank God for his being with me. Now, let me just ask you this. uh, When you come to mind, what comes to somebody's mind? Uh, Let me let that soak for a minute. When you come to mind, what comes to somebody's mind? Uh, I had a funeral for a lady, and I went and asked her newspaper delivery, a guy who threw a newspaper. And I said, can you tell me about Mrs. So-and-so? And he said, that's the meanest lady I've met in my life. Now, that's hard to do a funeral for. That's the only thing you got to go on. God's grace, give her grace, give her grace. So what will you be known for? I... Um, And how do you feel sometimes when you feel out of place? And the wise men certainly felt out of place. 
I don't know if you've ever felt out of place. Maybe sometimes you came to a church and you felt out of place. You said, boy, I don't want to go to that church again. How do you feel when you feel the wise men were out of place? They came into the streets of Jerusalem and there was no welcoming committee. There was no celebration going on. There was just frustration that was there down the very streets of Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever felt out of place. I was invited when I was pastor here at Elkdale, uh, pastor at Elkdale and, uh, to a Martin Luther King breakfast to be the speaker at Martin Luther King breakfast. Now, you're talking about being out in place. I was the only white person in that place. But what was really out of place was I had a sport coat on and captive cans, and you should have seen the fashion statements that were out there. I thought, man, I got up and spoke to them, and I said, I feel like a mule in the Kentucky Derby, and they understood what I felt like. We had a great time in the Lord. I felt in place and I felt welcome there. And we shared the Lord in a powerful way. In fact, they invited me back the next year. But I bought a suit for the occasion next year. <laughs> so the wise men come into Jerusalem, there's no reception committee. They have seen the star in the east, and they didn't know what it meant. They're outsiders that are coming to insiders because God sent them there. And sometimes it takes outsiders to get insiders to where they need to change their lives and welcome God into their lives. So as they they saw that star and they began to study what it meant, and it took them two years to get there. Because when they get there, Jesus is a little boy, not no longer in the, in the stable. But it took him two years to get there. And uh, there's so many things about the wise men. When you see a Christmas card, you see three men following a star. And when they're following a star, they get to the nativity scene. But the fact of the matter is, they only saw the star in the east. And they didn't see it again until they went outside Jerusalem. So they spent a lot of days and nights traveling in the darkness. And when they got there, it was probably more than three men. They would never have made it across that desert sin because the world over there is still a fighting place and there were bandits all along the way. They would never have made it there. And they came in as a kind of small army to Jerusalem. And they get there when Jesus is at least two years old. Now, why did it take so long? And the reason it took so long is because men do not ask for directions. Amen? You would rather shave your legs than ask for directions. They'll ride around lost for days. Don't ask for, don't don't admit you're lost. Don't ever admit you're lost. It's, It's less manhood to admit that you're lost. And why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? That's a good question here in Jerusalem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the reason Jesus was born in Bethlehem because that's where his mother was. Amen. Is that a heavy thing to deal with? But it was a written long time ago, even back in David's day, that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. And God has a God who promises, but he always fulfills those promises. And you can trust him.
Because we live in a world that breaks promises. But God never breaks his promises. So they arrive in Jerusalem, and as they arrive in Jerusalem, they have to deal. By the way, Jesus came from Nazareth to uh, Bethlehem. And the reason is because there was this tax, and there was this tax, and it sent David to his hometown to follow the ruse. That's what he did, and they came to uh, Bethlehem, and that's where she had the baby. It says that she delivered it. In fact, Luke gives us the only verse that tells us about Jesus being born, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. For there was no room. But he came from Nazareth, and Nazareth was a place that the reputation was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I don't know about you, but Susan and I had an oven that we named Nazareth because we wondered if anything good could ever come out of Nazareth. It burned everything we put in there. But they come to Jerusalem because they don't know where else to go. Jerusalem's the capital city. They're out of place and the crowd tries to tell them to hush and they're saying, where is he? And they keep, the word there is in the Greek tense is imperfect. They kept asking where. They expected to be other people there and nobody else was there. And so they go down the streets of Jerusalem, this small kind of army, and they say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And the crowd had all these hushers. You know, some churches have hushers. You don't get excited here. We hush it down. And so they were hushing those wise men with their excitement about seeing the Christ child. So they got to Jerusalem and they ran into Herod. Herod Herod's a different kind of guy. If Herod was to be elected or if they were elected him, um, the Speaker of the House of Representatives... Are you with me? Somebody with me? (laughs) They would have only had two votes because the first vote would have been those who opposed him. He would have killed everybody that opposed him. And the second vote, he would have been elected unanimously. (laughs) But Herod uh, fights his way to the top. And when he gets to the top, the tension of holding the top is a pressure place to be. He was paranoid in so many ways. He could tell lies and then not even bother. He used people as puppets. It didn't bother him. He killed his wives and his children, several of his children, because he thought they were trying to take over his throne. If you would put him in psychological terms today, you would say he's a gaslighter because he tries to control everybody. He is so insecure that he tries to control everybody and everything. He was bossy. You know somebody that's bossy? Herod was a bossy man, but he could deceive you. He knew how to play the game, and he backstabbed you. And I struggle with people like that. And yet our world is full of all kinds of Herods. And in fact, sometimes you and I can act like a Herod. But I think the 
the ones that kind of strike me the most is not Herod because he brought up this plan and he fooled the wise men. They bought into the situation of going to Bethlehem and coming back and telling him, telling them, him about uh, where to worship Christ. They bought into it. He fooled, fooled the Magi. But then the people, that, well, the religious leaders, they, they quoted scripture and they quoted where it would be found and they quoted where Jesus would be born and yet they did nothing about it. They knew scripture and they knew all about the scripture and let it never change their lives. They could quote Micah and they could quote it all. And yet it made no difference in their lives whatsoever. So it tells us that the wise men uh, came out of Jerusalem when they said it to be born in Bethlehem. And I've driven that road and it's a, oh man, it, it, I just brought, just being there as a little child. My mother used to tell me all those stories from the Bible and just being over in Israel and seeing that, uh, seeing those things myself was just, so special to me, and it's about 13 miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And the word Bethlehem means house of bread. It was a shepherd's place, and that's where David was born. And he fought the lion, and he fought the bear, and he took care of his sheep. And God taught him some great things out there in the wilderness when he was out there by himself with just his sheep. But he came to Bethlehem, and all of a sudden that star appeared. And they rejoiced with exceedingly joy. And they came to the house where Jesus was. And something happened in that moment that only those who have met Jesus can talk about, even they don't have any words sometimes to explain it. They worship, but the word there for worship means they got face-down worship. Now, that's a worship experience. Something happened. And in their search, they found Jesus. Now, there are three things that I want you to kind of take away Today, as we talk about an after-Christmas story, for all of you that are here have an after-Christmas story, but what's going to happen in the coming year, how things going to go, and I'm not here to tell you any fortune or anything that's going to happen, but I'm going to tell you what you and I need, and I'm telling that to myself. His name is Manuel, because he will be with us. He is with us. And just three things I want you to know. One is this. He is with us as we stay the course because we have this kind of tendency to drift and we drift away from the course. The wise men kept the course and they found Jesus. They came all the way through the dark. They came from the east way out there thousands of miles away. They went to Jerusalem, then they went to Bethlehem, but they stayed the course. Even though they ran into obstacles along the way and things that happened along the way, they stayed the course. Stay in the course. Because it's so easy. Uh, Susan and I uh, work out. Now, I don't want to say that in a word. We really don't work out that much, but we work out. Um, 
at this place, and, and there's uh, these people that have come in, and they bought spandex outfits, and they were you know, kind of working out, and it's really crowded now. But wait for two or three more weeks, and it will be empty again. And those spandex play things will be in the back of the closet, along with the skinny jeans they bought for Christmas. It got a little bit hard, and things kind of go back to being comfortable. And we get off course. Uh, David Lyon is uh, from Lowndes County, and he's a philosopher. That's where philosophers live in Lowndes County. (laughs) They're all Auburn graduates, by the way. But David told me about a preacher, and he swapped with this teenage boy, and he swapped with him. He swapped a bicycle for a, a lawnmower. And so when the preacher got his lawnmower, tried to crank it, and it wouldn't crank. So he called the teenager and said, what do I do to crank it? And he said, well, you got to cuss it. <laughs> and the preacher said, listen, I'm a new preacher. I don't... Uh, that's my old life, and I, I, I don't do that anymore. And the little teenager said, you keep pulling on that cord. It'll come back to you. Amen. <laughs> we thought we had gotten past it. Sin has the power to reclaim. And old habits have a way of showing up. And things we used to think about seem to come back. And we get off course. What keeps us on course is his presence with us. Reading scripture. Worshiping. Finding time to get along with the Lord. And say, Lord... Open my eyes that I may see. Open my heart that I can see those things that you want me to see. But here's the point. We need the Lord to stay the course. Without his presence, we drift off. We need the Lord to deal with disappointment. And the wise men got to a place where they were disappointed. It didn't happen like they thought it was going to happen. There was no reception there like they thought that would happen. But disappointment's going to come our way. There are things that we didn't ask for, we didn't want, but all of a sudden we find them in our lives. Things we expected to happen are not happening. And things we didn't expect to happen, all of a sudden here they are. And how do you deal with those? And it's a tough place to be. Susan and I have a good friend named Pam. Pam has so much energy and so much get up and go. She's been faithful to her church. Her and her husband do Bible studies. They're really just into the Lord and everything they can do for the Lord. And then cancer came. It wasn't in her program. She's had so many surgeries, and uh, if you go fly to Houston, you'll always see that sign at the door as you get in, Welcome to MD Anderson. 
And she calls Nimdi Anderson on a regular basis, and they call her. She's been out there for all of her treatments. Whenever she would go to have her cancer chemotherapy treatments, Susan and I would meet her and her husband. We'd hold hands and pray and pray for this chemotherapy to do what it ought to do. But she keeps getting disappointed. She hadn't planned on this. It's not working out the way she thought it had planned. But when you talk to Pam, she'll tell you how close she is to the Lord and how the Lord is so close to her. She wonders why, but she didn't always give the right answer to why. But she knows that the Lord is there, and somehow he's given her the strength to go through a disappointment that could tear her apart spiritually as well as physically. Without the Lord, you and I can't make it through disappointment. So with the Lord, we need to stay on course. With the Lord, we need to deal with disappointment. With the Lord, we need to go the distance. Because so many have dropped off along the way. They're not going the distance. At least they don't have the energy or the fire for the Lord they used to have. And like the religious leaders, they lost their ability to ignite. You watch a stump in the woods. When the fire comes along, it will glow for a while. But another fire comes along, it will glow less and less until finally a full fire can be coming along. And no longer glows. That kind of ability not to finish and then fall by the wayside. I mean, just not quit, not quit coming to church, but just come as a kind of as a hamburger chain in California that's called in and out It becomes a kind of, church becomes a hamburger chain where you just kind of come in and you go out and you didn't get the warmth that God wanted to give you that day. One of the things that I did while I was here, and I really enjoyed doing that, was to judge the track meets when they had the track meets out at the stadium. And um, I went to a special class that we would judge the track meets. And I, they put me in first place. I read because I was a preacher. They put me in first to pick out the first place. And um, Pookie Morris and I were the ones. that Pookie was second. He'd argue me that I made the wrong choice. I said, sit down and shut up. But anyway... I could do that because I was in authority. But uh, one of the hardest races that they had was a two-mile race. And I remember uh, it's not just a jog. It is a race. And I remember um, there was these, they were running. The runners were running. There were two girls that were out front. It was eight times around that track at uh, the stadium. And somehow they had missed counted the um, laps, and they told them they were on their last lap, which is a bell lap, and, and, uh, but it, re- it was the seventh lap, not the eighth lap, uh, last lap. And so they said, somebody's got to tell them, and they said, since you're a preacher, you go tell them. So as they were coming around on the seventh lap, and they thought it was their last lap, and they had one more lap to go, I said, you got one more lap, one more lap. And boy, that didn't go over real big. 
And there were two girls out front. I remember they were from Faith Academy. And this one girl um, said some words that I hadn't heard since I was in the Army. <laughs> I didn't know girls said those kind of words. And she fell off on the side. But there was this one, one girl that kind of heard the news and she kept going. She dug down deep inside of her when she thought she was going to finish and she had another lap to go. And she pulled up something inside of her. And those tired legs kept taking the pace, taking the pace, taking the pace, taking the pace. And she ended up winning that race. What makes some people quit and some people go to distance? It's the Lord on the inside that says, I have a generation that needs to hear my witness. And they need to know you don't quit. You keep going. And you keep going. And you get disappointed. And you keep going. And you get off course. And you stay the course. Now, I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. And for this invitation, I would just like for you and the Lord to have a time together. I mean, it's good to be in congregation, and we are in congregation, but we're also individuals. Would you just ask the Lord in your silent prayer time? Lord, would you help me stay on course? So many distractions in the world we live in. I can't do this without you, Father. I need you to help me to stay on course. So many ways I can fall by the wayside. But there are generations watching us. And they're wondering if it's something they need to carry to their families and to their world. Lord, help me to stay on course. Lord, help me to deal with disappointment, and you and I will have disappointments. I don't know what your disappointment's going to be, and you don't know what mine's going to be. But disappointment's going to come our way. Things that we didn't ask for, we didn't want, and all of a sudden they show up. So those disappointments are going to come, and I don't know how they're going to come, but the Lord even knows even now what disappointments you will face in the coming year. Jesus told the disciples, said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Our proverb says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. As you go through there, don't ever lose that trust. Would you say in your heart, Lord, help me to deal with whatever disappointment comes my way. And would you give me the third thing? God, give me the heart of a finisher.
not just a starter, but give me the heart of a finisher so that I will run my race and finish my course and keep the faith. Father, as us, um, all of us are frail creatures of dust. And without you, it's impossible. So give us a sense of your presence with us today. Strengthen us in the places that we need to have strength. For all of us are weak, and we fall to things we should not fall to. Forgive us of our sins. Fill our hearts with a sense of your presence. And we thank you for guidance that is beyond ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Our invitation is have thine own way. Is that it? Have thine own way. A beautiful singer sang that. One night when she gave her heart to the Lord, she finally broke down and said, Lord, have thine own way. So maybe you need today. Maybe you've already accepted Christ, but maybe you need him to come to you and have his own way in your heart and your mind. So would you stand as we have our invitation? Number five.